This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. This is Power 98.7. And now you're listening to Power Talk with Lerato Mbele. Weekdays, 9 a.m. to midday on Power 98.7. Taking your calls on 0861-987-000. All right, so the time is 10 minutes past the hour of 10 o'clock. It is the Thursday edition of Power Talk, and it is time for what we do every Thursday, which is a leadership dialogue. Today we're talking to a man who just quietly has risen through the ranks of corporate SA. He has held some of the most senior, most strategic uh, positions um, in a state-owned enterprise. You know, I don't want to use the word sort of public sector, but public enterprise and also in the private sector. But he's always done it. Without bells and whistles, fanfare, loud noises, um, just quiet and measured, I think is how people would describe Ndatempo Makwana. A steady hand, a safe pair of hands. Um, His background is in the field of um, human capital. Um, And I think... That has informed a lot of how he's navigated corporate essays to say, how do we develop and nurture talent in such a way that people can actualize themselves meaningfully in the business environment, but also for the greater good of the country? His toughest role, from where I sit, was when he was called to be the chairperson of ESCOM Holdings. Um, Having worked at ESCOM previously as a senior executive and non-executive director, but asked to just come in during a really unstable phase um, with the departure of Andre de Reuter and a board that wasn't co-rate and needing to create an interim structure. And um, he served and then um, politely asked (laughs) to go back into private business. He himself is also an entrepreneur, the chairperson of Epitome Investments um, and also spends a lot of his time creating models around what he says are models that are needed for courageous leadership active citizenship, he calls it contributive citizenship and I think he also spends a lot of time meditating on the word he is a priest for the uh, Pentecostal church and he's going to tell us what that is you say (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for your time thank you for having me so my first question obviously is within current affairs we -hmm. all heard the budget yesterday Mm. Uh, and whilst many people have been critical about its lacking detail lacking ambition lacking a, a chart forward it was also just about fiscal management pay the debts that need to be paid uh keep things 
as stable as is possible. So it's a balancing act that the minister had to do yesterday. But I think the, r- the real conversation is, when do we move out of just survival in South Africa and into something bigger? Hmm. You know, I, as I drove in uh, into the studio, I had some of the callers that were calling in about the same topic. It's important in my view, if we're talking as we are now dialoguing about leadership, to just give it a bit more context. You know, politics, uh, the, in my politics one-on-one, when I studied political science at the University of Zuland, we, we used to be told about David Easton, who is the is seen as the father of the formal political system as we know it. So he designed what is called the Eastern uh, political system model. And so the simple model says you've got inputs that you receive from society, let's say. So we often in corporates and in strategy talk about the political, economic, social, economical, environmental, historical environments Mm -hmm. or inputs. So those are the inputs that go into the system. Then there's a government that must process these inputs. And the government, as you know, is divided into three arms, the executive, the legislature, and the judiciary. Mm -hmm. And then the government, the system, the political system, produces outputs, which either take the shape of laws, policies, and programs that get implemented. And so in the inputs, you're deriving inputs from the macroeconomic environment, the pestier. The output is the impact that you have. Mm -hmm. Now, this system is local, is national, and is global. Yeah. So government generally, or let me say democracy generally, makes sense where people live. So where people live, the same inputs. It's about uh, are they in the past year, are the bylaws that come from that political system relevant for the quality of life we aspire for? Um, are they collecting rates and taxes in a manner that makes it good to live? So I'm just saying that. In this local, national, global ecosystem that David Easton uh, designed many uh, years ago, mm-hmm. when we analyze something like the budget, yes, it's about the here and now in terms of what where it hits me in the back pocket. But we must appreciate that we're in a global economy. Um, in our country, the last time we doubled the size of our economy was between the period 1999, thereabouts, Uh, in about 2008, where we saw massive growth in our country. Yet now, under the current uh, administration, we've seen uh, under our president uh, a program being driven to attract 1 trillion uh, rands in new investments uh, over five years. And that target was beaten. Uh, I think the the, the final number was about 1.6 trillion. The challenge is that most of those investments that were attracted are in not in the mass-based sector of the economy where you'll see a lot of people in overalls and lots of people, and it's the challenge of the digital economy. So, for instance, if we have a company like Amazon that's going to open uh, a center in the Western Cape, it, it's going to improve the e-commerce environment, but the average person on the street is not necessarily going to feel it in their back pocket. 
yet South Africa will feel a greater sense of integration into that space. So the dilemma we face is that until, to your question, until you can see an economy growing at at least 3%, then we start doing a major dent on those huge unemployment numbers and we start improving the quality of life. Now, lastly, in this system of the past year, in the last couple of years, we've seen major shocks into it. The biggest shock, uh, once in a century shock, was 2020 with COVID. No economy has been able to survive that uh, comfortably. And so we're now post the COVID era, and we're really probably only back to where we were around 2019, really. Okay. Broad overview. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. But if I simplified it, I would say it's all good and well for South Africa to attract investments Mm. that are high value, high tech, Mm. digital and modern, and will serve at least three or four percent of the population. But the reality is that you do need young people in overalls. Mm. You do need them working. Mm. You do need them in hospitals. Doctors who can't even get jobs. I mean, it's, it's it beggars belief. Because when people are working, one, there's dignity in that. Two, it's a stimulus for the economy. They'll be spending. So mm. it grows the economy. Three, it creates a wider tax base for the state that needs those inputs. Mm. It's a no-brainer. And we can't be talking about the last time South Africa had double-digit growth was 2008. Almost a decade later, and we literally cannot stimulate this economy. And the question is, why is that? Because 2008-2009 was a global credit crisis. Most countries went into recession, but five years later, they recovered. You know, uh, Europe right now, the United States right now has the lowest unemployment figures uh, in a decade. So countries are able to come out of a morass. South Africa is the one stuck in it. Why? I'm not sure that in the time we have, I'll be able to answer the why we're stuck. But I can certainly point us in the direction of what we saw other countries do to come out of the the quagmire that we find ourselves in today. We are not the first country in the world to find ourselves with a slow-growing economy, with a challenge of perhaps... uh, areas where there's elements of cartels, whether it's the construction industry, whether it's uh, other spheres of the economy, transport sector. Let's start firstly by unpacking that there are three things that we need to unlock. If those three things are unlocked, we will start seeing movement in that direction. It is the energy crisis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secondly, it's our logistics in terms of uh, the the challenges that Transnet faces in terms of moving. So if you get the economy moving, uh, in the olden days, Transnet used to have as their motto, moving the economy. Mm. So if you get the economy moving, 
you get the economy powered. The third thing that we have a challenge is is security prevention or yeah. managing security. So if those three things were to be managed, and as, as we speak, these are the three things that keep the average decision maker in business and government awake at night. There's multiple yeah. work streams between government and business looking at how you fix these three things together. Now, there's a model that was published uh, by a gentleman called Simon Arnold. Uh, over the years, Simon Arnold used to be an advisor to prime ministers and presidents on yeah. this very same topic. Yeah. And out of that uh, years of advice, he created a, a model called the Good Country Index. And in there, he unpacks uh, a number of variables that help you, if you stay on top of, you get to fix your country. And so in the last three years, he published uh, a book around it called The Good Country Equation, mm. how we can repair the world in one generation is the subtitle. Now, the fundamental things that he says is, number one, whether you learn from countries like Chile in terms of how they turn themselves around, yeah. whether you learn from other countries that are still on the path but are making inroads, uh, whether it's Colombia, whether it's even Mexico, mm-hmm. You firstly have to have a clear sense of thought leadership that the world respects you for. Mm. So in South Africa, I think if you look at the recent work we've done at the ICJ, we we tend to still be more thought leaders in areas perhaps that are not in the back to our political system, in the exportable side of the economy. Mm Another economic thought leader tells us that economies run on three fronts. They run on attraction factors, what makes people come into your country seeking opportunities. And also tourism is a, is a, is a major economic that, community, yeah. commodity. The, the second part is the capabilities in the economy, whether uh, earlier on, Tabish was talking about the Vodacom, there were labeling Vodacom, Makate Vodacom. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's people who invent things that the world wants. Yeah. And then thirdly is then the exportables, things that you export to other nations that they are in demand. Okay. So we need to build our economy around those three phenomena. But yeah. fundamentally the third one, how do we ensure that we accelerate changes to our, econ- to our education system, we accelerate changes to our training programs, including what we've abandoned in the old Ambach uh, centers, which are now called TVET colleges, so that you've got more young people that think, and I'm not talking grandeur. You know, in 1993, when I was still part of the Black Management Forum, we went on a study tour to Sweden Mm. and found a village uh, somewhere outside Stockholm called Kostepan. In the village of Kostepan, you find the traditional book binders, the traditional all things made in Sweden, let's say. Hmm. And really, it's what we today call the farmer's markets, yeah. perhaps, to, yeah. to some extent, not totally. But what they have is like they have a, let's stick with the analogy of a Tivet Ambach school. Yes. They call them Volkschule. Yeah. So it's a community-based technical school, Volkschule that say, you guys are good with woodwork. Yeah. So we're going to put up a woodwork center here. And the front end of that is a factory shop. You guys are good with bookbinding. We're going to do a school that teaches you bookbinding skills. The front end of that is books that are bound where people can walk in and bring their old books for binding. 
So we need to get back to that level of pragmatism. In in the key, uh, we, we've got this district development model. So if each of the districts in the country were to have something like that, then you'll start seeing young people in overalls. You'll start seeing young people mm-hmm. uh, doing things for themselves. And then we would need to figure out those that are able to do these things at scale, how do we help them to export their products and services? All right. So you've said many, many things which I think are intriguing. Let's just try to get through as many before the headlines. So the first thing you said is an economy needs smooth logistics, the transnet Mm -hmm. moving the economy, and energy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You would know all about the energy problem. Mm-hmm. having worked at ESCOM and then having been that caretaker, shall we call it the caretaker chairperson <laughs> um, um, in the last uh, year or so. From your observations, what is really the issue at ESCOM? What's going on there? My principle in leadership is that once I've passed on from a responsibility, I've passed on, I, I, I guard against doing what people call ruling from the grave. Hmm. But it's important to appreciate that it's a complex system, firstly, to try and do what ESCOM is expected to do. The, if you go to, I think it'll be good one day to take your team and broadcast out of uh, Jamiston, the, there's a factory called Roshcon, an ESCOM right. factory, where you get to see how they remodel and refurbish the, let's call it the intestines, the engine room okay. of a power station. Yeah. So it's like if um, my father drove a very old uh, Colt 1100. So yeah. if if you remodeled the engine uh, in their language, then they, you'd say you do an engine overall. Yeah. If you remodeled the engine, the car would be as good as new. Okay. So the power station, the average power station, once you've fixed the, the router and all the technical components of a power station, it is as good as new. Okay. We need to firstly create ongoing space for the technical people at ESCOM to do that. So when, as the board, we approved uh, a plan to turn around ESCOM over three years, which come March next year, all things held constant, that turnaround plan should achieve 70% energy availability mm-hmm. factor. The process is based on a comprehensive technical and engineering analysis of ESCOM. But invariably, the political system, back to my inputs, outputs, sometimes expects certain immediacy, like uh, if tomorrow there's going to be something major in Johannesburg, can you make sure that we don't interfere with that event and keep the lights on? So that means someone is going to divert attention from something major uh, and make sure they keep the lights on for that. For that Soweto Dabi. So... That's part, but coming to contributive uh, citizenship, which you've just triggered now with your Soweto Derby comment, as citizens, we must pay for the service we get. Six billion rands of debt in Soweto due to non-payment, due to electricity theft, due to vandalizing of equipment. And we can't be pointing fingers at government when we ourselves as citizens are damaging our own infrastructure. I will um, 
come back to you on that one. Mm-hmm. You also said one of the things we need for uh, an economy to be stimulated. It's quite a few variables. It's the it's the policy and the interventions made by state with its capital expenditure, but it's a culture of innovation is basically mm. what you were saying um, when you when you refer to the Magadez uh, Vodacom. So many young people say, "I have an idea. I just don't know how to actualize it." Mm. Okay. It's either I don't have the factory space to prototype, even if I find the factory space, ESCOM lights are not on, you know. So the the whole ecosystem is just not working. And even if ESCOM lights are on, even if I have a factory space, I would have to um, register that IP. I'm told it's a whole process of nine years, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and then I'd have to find somebody to fund that idea for me. So you just get a sense that in South Africa, we talk a, a, a good talk about people being self-starters, about people being innovative, about people being creative, but the the actual building blocks that harvest that innovation just don't exist here. They might exist in Cape Town in what we call the Silicon Savannah, but not anywhere else in the country. How do we get that right? So support exists. The problem, I suspect, is how we disseminate the information. Okay. Um, there's a platform called simplybiz.co.za. Hmm. Um, I don't want to promote a particular bank on your yeah. platform, but one of the banks... No, we're uh, all about growth. Say what you need to say. Um, so I'm I'm former chairman at NetBank. Okay. NetBank created a platform called simplybiz.co.za. Okay. I'm certain the other banks have similar platforms. If you log in into simplybiz.co.za... It helps you with tools on how to develop your business plan, how to market your your company. And they do hold seminars, webinars, and all sorts of things uh, that enable small business development. The problem is that, uh, and one of the things I was going to ask when we started, is that there's an equation when we talk about leadership and problem solving, we must all master. Mm. It's a simple equation that says the quality of assumptions that you make about the challenge at hand shapes the quality of conversations and entrenches the quality of thinking. Mm -hmm. We all need to find ways of testing our assumptions all the time about uh, what we're trying to solve. And there's a simple lateral thinking model that Edward de Bono, the creative uh, guru, has created. He says, you firstly must say, what do I know? Mm -hmm. So tabulate what you know about what you're trying to accomplish. Then secondly, ask yourself, what do I need to know? And then go out and figure out what you need to know. And then now that you've got what you need to know, you synthesize the two and say, am I better off in terms of what I know now? What do I still need to know more of? But most critically, we get things done, accomplished often through others. Hmm. Then you start saying, who do I know that can help me? Now, many years at business school, they taught me that there's something called six degrees of separation. Yes. Anybody that wants to meet, let's say, the head of enterprise development at a bank, let's not stick with one bank, you know somebody who knows somebody who can get you in front of that person. So I think at schools and at high school particularly, we should teach networking skills, not hustling, networking skills, because I I find a lot we get hustled. You go to a place to buy a grocery, you go to a place to buy a coffee, you get hustled. You get ambushed. That's not networking. Yeah. Um, so we need to teach learners in high school to exactly know how to be networking savvy. Yeah. 
so that they know how to sit. Private schools do that. Yeah. The private schools that the average middle-income family's child go to teach them how to do so. But that's because within the school community, within that fraternity, are all the people who can uh, influence a decision. The CEO's child goes there, and so does the chairman's granddaughter go to the school. They're all there. So my contributive citizen model says different. Okay. It says that even that chair, people don't come from trees. Even that chair has an aunt, has a cousin, who may be... So let's maybe personalize okay. it with I think what we're the number do one citizen as an just, example. Is just, let's just digest what you are saying, take the headlines, and then we can come back and talk about contributors. Certainly. All right, thank you very much to the news teams. It is the Thursday edition of Power Talk. It's the Leadership Dialogues, and the time is 10.38. And we're in conversation with Ndadempo Magwana, a business leader, chairperson of Epitome Investments, former acting chairman of ESCOM Holdings, former chief executive of Saatchi and Saatchi, um, which is advertising. He sat on boards of many um, firms in that space, like Ogilvy and Mayfair, the International Marketing Council. So, you know, it reminds me driving into power this morning, I saw a banner that said, tell your story it might inspire people and so this is a consummate storyteller and what makes a country uh, attractive as an investment destination is the ability to tell your story to harness the potential of your people to set the policies in motion that create a sound investment uh, environment and then tell the world the story of who you are but in the conversation we're having as well um, he's already started to allude to a lot of the principles that really uh, inform his worldview. And I want to quote Aristotle here, who says, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. The Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu says, knowing others is intelligence. Knowing yourself is true wisdom. And in the last 25 minutes, I've heard Mpomagwana saying, if you know properly what the citizenry of the country aspire towards, if you understand fundamentally what the exogenous impact of the global economy has on your domestic economy, if you have tabulated correctly what your responsibilities are as a government, how your policies make sure that taxpayers pay and people are responsible, towards the state, then you start to get a different set of outcomes. And so it's really about knowing ourselves, the good, the bad, and the ugly of South Africa. Perhaps that's where the overhaul of the economy begins. And that's certainly what I've understood you to say, Mpomagwana. Yes, yeah, so I think the, the key thing, if you look at, let's take a country like Korea, where some of the brands most people consume come from, whether yeah. it's LG, whether it's Samsung and so on. When I was in the steel industry, I used to be chair of Asla Metal South Africa for nine years, between yeah. 2013 and 2022 May. POSCO, which is the steel maker from Korea, is one yeah. of the profitable steel makers in the world. Mm -hmm. And... Korea and POSCO give us, again, an example of how contributive citizenship can actually build a nation. Mm -hmm. So when you go to Korea, um, you will find that they have what they call an electronics corridor. So 
the entrepreneurs, in this case we've got business associations, the entrepreneurs through their associations and their government came together and said, in this corridor, all things to do with electronics made in Korea, whether it's LG, whether it's Samsung, whether it's whatever, um, there's going to be a value chain, a beneficial value yeah. chain. Then they have an auto corridor. Yes. Uh, Hyundai, Kia, yeah. and so on. There's a, um, an auto sector. So we've got that in Roslyn as an example. Yes. So back to what I was saying earlier, if we created, and, and some of the manufacturers there have done it, some haven't. If we created value chains in Roslyn, let's stick with Roslyn as an example in Pretoria North. It works well. If we then took the Volkswagen idea and said, from this corridor from Harangua to Roslyn is people who know how to make leather seats. And so BMW, Mercedes, whoever makes cars out of Roslyn, you're going to get them from this corridor. Yeah. In Mamilodi and uh, the, the the industrial park around Mamilodi, there's Ford Motor Company. How do we make sure that there's a corridor there that does something for the auto sector? Uh, because we have to have local content. So in the Korea example, yeah. every car that comes out of Korea, Hyundai, Kia, has to carry 30%. There's a quota prescribed. 30% of the local steel, 30% of locally made components. Yeah. And then it's shipped elsewhere in yeah. the world. So we are proud to say we assemble cars here and so on. But all we're doing is we're receiving prepacks, and then putting, putting them, them together. together with minimal uh, local content. I remember at one point engaging with one of the ministers uh, at the time when we had to deal with Chinese uh, mm -hmm. imports that were being dumped here. I said to that particular leader, "Do you know, how much do you, would you say does a C-class or a, a three-series at that time carry in Absolutely. terms of South African steel? We debated a little bit and then we showed them the figures that actually it's less than 2%. So we need to be looking at how we become savvy. And to my point in the global economy, we're good yeah. at attracting these opportunities, but we're not good at putting our foot down mm -hmm. in terms of localizing the value chains. Okay. In their defense, somebody said to you, you're very good at defending the government today, but they do have <laughs> now uh, an industrial policy that does spell out what OEMs, is that what they call the, the, the local Content so the OEMs is, if you the, look at ESCOM in terms of people who put components uh, in Midupe and Kusile and so on, I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about uh, ensuring that, let's take Kusile. If you went to Kusile and say, from Emalacheni, Ochis, all the communities there, what is the value chain of community participation? Localization. Okay. So we, we need to become more and more, because that's how countries elsewhere in the world have helped their young people to, okay. to be economically active. But at the personal level, uh, because I don't want to run out of time before I share this, when I talk about contributive citizenship, there are seven pillars around it. No, I'm going to interject there. Mm. I, I do want us to go there, but systematically, sort of mm -hmm. how my head works. So you pointed us to a good country index earlier on, mm. or, or yeah, and it's an index that looks at countries that are thriving and what it is that they do. Mm. And then you alluded to the fact that one of the criteria in there is how you leverage and harness the skills of um, um, the citizens of the country. And I think this is where the innovation aspect came in. Mm. 
I'd like us to look at this issue of what makes a country functional, attractive, prosperous, and then I want us to link it to the role of the citizen. Because when you use that mm. Soweto example, you were saying it's all good and well to brandish everything that's not working, the fault of the government. Do we ever ask ourselves mm. what our responsibility is as citizens? So let's talk about that sure. responsibility. So the notion of a good country index is about what are we thought leader of? Mm-hmm. So if you go to the Northern Cape, you will find the SKA. Yes. Um, which is a very powerful tool that uh, is a scientific invention that allows you to study the universe and go back billions and billions uh, of, of, I guess, years behind. Um, Now, again, we're a country that is not so good with maths and science. Yeah. So we should be seeing in the Sutherland area and all the areas around that SK area, we should be seeing centers of maths and science. We mm. should be seeing centers of maths and science all over the country. Mm. Just like in the U.S., you spoke about the U.S. In the U.S., there's maths and science programs that are about making young people aspire to go to NASA. Yeah. Now, in all the tertiary institutions, I don't see an equivalent of the MIT. Yeah. So where is the South African MIT? Uh, MIT is the Massachusetts Institute, Institute of Technology. Of technology yeah which seeks to deliberately cultivate, groom geniuses in technology. Yes, we have South Africans that are graduates of MIT, but they get swamped because there's only such a handful of them. And so we need to have those centers. And so this question of yours leads us also into the realm of how do you cultivate global competitiveness? Right. Global competitiveness says that you've got to have centers of excellence. So sitting here in Johannesburg and Houghton, there's the Nelson Mandela Children's Hospital here, one of four in the continent. So it should be a center of excellence. There's the academic hospital mm-hmm. right here. It should be a center of excellence of children wellness, for instance. Right. So that anybody anywhere in the world that wants to know about children and their well being, say you've got to be in Houghton, Johannesburg or Parktown, Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. To, to appreciate what is happening, especially that there's one out of four. In the U.S., there's one every fourth block. There's yeah. a children's hospital. Yeah. We only have four in a continent of billions of people. Yeah. So we need to have those centers of excellence. So if Pretoria is the hub of policy uh, administration and parliament in Cape Town is the hub of policy making. All people that study policies and especially make there should be centers of excellence there. Then let's go to the constitutional hill here. Uh, Anybody who's in human rights and so on, that should be our center of excellence. Now, it beats me still why the office of the chief justice is in Midrand. But anyway, if you look at Midrand, that's potentially a good hub for electronics because most of you electronic makers are in Midrand. And so maybe let's be asking ourselves between Tembisa's beneficiaries and Deep Sluot and others, how do you make sure that there's a center of electronical equipment and technology in that sphere? Um, And so you can go on and look at all those areas because then you are being deliberate. But really, for God's sake, let's create our own MIT. Um, we've got such great institutions, universities, we've right. got good business schools. We just don't have 
schools of technology of the ilk of an MIT that can make sure we deliberately groom geniuses, yeah. technological geniuses in South Africa. But as you're using your anal- analogy, and especially when you refer to Constitution Hill, I thought to myself, and if that was going to be the the center for human rights training, research, engagement, you can't also then just allow that part of Johannesburg to decay exactly. due to crime and inner city uh, uh, degradation. You can't do that. But it's happening in this country. And, and I don't mm. want to go into all issues around illegal immigration. I'm just saying, if this is the center of your constitution, uh, constitutional court and constitutional learning and, and law, Everything about that environment needs to reflect that. But we don't have that in the country. We don't have a municipality that thinks like that. We don't have a provincial government that thinks like that. And so citizenry don't think like that. So in fairness to them, to our leaders, there is something called the Global Cities Network. And the there's a very solid chapter of the Global Cities Network uh, here in Johannesburg. Uh, last time I checked, the head thereof was uh, Stolenbanga, mm. who I happen to know from university days. Uh, remember, though, that uh, the then mayor, Pakstau, used to also, who got accolades uh, when Joburg was still uh, somewhat respected as a global city region. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got accolades also in that forum of global city networks. So we do belong to a whole host of very powerful networks. Our simple challenge as a country is excellence in execution. Okay. We've got great ideas, great policies, great global networks, but we somehow fail to simplify things so that you execute. Because excellence requires you to simplify things so that people find it easy to get things done and therefore excel. Okay. So I would think that back to the centers of excellence, we need to really be investing enough in our education system, high school and university, around how you inject more pragmatism in the graduates so that when they leave, you know, there's a a campus out in Pretoria North called the Belgian campus. Uh, When I was in the steel industry, we used to admire them because they produce graduates that are economically active ready. And I used to say to them, I wish you could go to the Council for Higher Education and share your model with them so that every South African university can be like that. Yeah. When someone comes into your workplace They're ready. and they say, I'm a graduate in this or the other field, all you need to be able to do is induct them, show them how we do things around here, and they should be able to hit the ground running, of course, with some manage- managerial yeah. supervision. So a lot of our education outputs are not grounded enough to ensure that the product, the graduate product that emerges is able to hit the ground running. All right. Another aspect of the work that you do is modeling courageous leadership. It's that word courage that I'm curious about. Mm. Tell us what you do there. So courageous leadership firstly starts with being able to unpack why you you exist as a human being. Uh, The French call it uh, raison d'etre. Each human being, in my view, out of 69 million South Africans, if we've got maybe, I don't know, 40 million, 30 million economically, potential economically active adults, each one of them must say, "How? why am I here on earth? What is my life purpose? Mm-hmm. Because when you are focused on your life purpose, you define how do I show up in the world. Yeah. 
then two, you should be able to say, what is my role relative to that life purpose? What is my role as a parent, as a father, mother, as a provider? Because then how we parent our children is exactly how shapes tomorrow's competitiveness. Thirdly, you should be able to say, how do I show up as a life partner? Uh, We have got a huge challenge of uh, men that abuse their life partners in relationships, in families. But largely because perhaps if they only, if everybody in in those partnerships stood back, how am I in this partnership relative to my life purpose? Maybe some rationality could prevail. Um, And then we all need to define our community. What is my community contribution? Whatever community means to you, it could be relative to your gender, it could be relative to your career, relative to place of origin. So there must be something that you're doing to plow back to that community. And then what is my spirituality? Who do I believe in and how do I blend in? Because some people uh, on the weekend, whether you worship, I worship on the Sabbath, some people worship on Sunday. Uh, When they arrive, uh, they do what we say in township. They're all ngole ngole and so on, just for the few hours that they are in that space. Then Then as they leave, they dish that out and they will become somebody else. Mm -hmm. You can't have a successful life like that. Who you are Monday to Friday must be the same person that you are Saturday and Sunday. It's integrity. Um, And so you've got to have a sense of uh, how my life purpose expressed. How do I find expression in my spirituality through my life purpose? Then number six is the work and the economy, all the things we were talking about earlier. How do I show up in the economy? Not just as someone who's going to draw a salary, but someone who's deliberate about who I am. Uh, Company X, I know you've got your values and your policies, but this is me. I'm here because I'm qualified in this, but my life purpose is to achieve X, Y, Z. Chances are people who have that, and in fact, I've seen it in environments that allow that, they progress better than those that are just there on a Monday to Friday to draw a living. And then lastly, uh, we all have to say, how do I sharpen the sword? Constantly, you've got to make yourself better. Whether it's through an academic program, whether it's through a course, whether it's through a a workshop, a seminar, you've got to acquire knowledge all the time. This is a knowledge economy after all. Absolutely. So those are my seven dimensions of uh, life purpose and contributive. So when you do that, then you've got courage to show up differently. Yeah. Uh, It's not about emotion. It's not about anger. It's about showing showing up with deliberate purpose in terms of what you want to achieve in, in this lifetime. All right. So this comment from Lorato just takes us back a little bit, but he says, um, Lorato, in fact, during the days of Oputaswana, the Kharanko Industrial Park in Zone 15 had companies such as Beda and Leatherworks uh, that provided for BMW and other manufacturers. So my mm. question to Ntate Makwana is, without being nostalgic about the days gone by, how do we revive that value chain support to create the jobs, ensuring local content the way that you've referred to? Because it used to happen is what he's saying. So my simple example would be that Loratan needs to say, what can I do about it? Because the, the fundamentals of courageous leadership is that Rather than say, why is this happening? When is this going to happen? It starts here with me. What can I do? How can I? So maybe there's a what can I do that he can, uh, presume it's a he, that he can pursue to say, if I went to uh, the nearest place of networking, I don't know whether it's a tavern or whatever it is, or it's a church, and I invited people that I know that used to do those things, 
for a drink, tea, mm. coffee, whatever, mm. or for a braai. And we brainstorm what can we do to resuscitate it in this economic environment. Yeah. Chances are 12 heads can produce one or two great ideas. Yeah. So we should stop lamenting that government must do this, government must do that. Just bring people together that because I'm sure he knows them, mm. especially that he can refer back to Putitswana. Yeah. And so whether you go to Eka Industria, whether you go to Babelech in Hamaskral, all these places, yeah. there's someone who still has memory okay. of how they used to work. From what you're saying, very simply, uh, I, I'm hearing you say we can't be passive mm. citizens. No, we can't. So if we say we've got a refuse collection problem on our street, mm. yes, we'll lobby the municipality to collect it. Or we can sit down over a cup of tea, say who's got a truck, who can collect it, who knows a dump site, mm. whilst we are negotiating with the municipality, we, but we can it, all do something. Or even it. better, in the time limited, we can say, given load shedding, how can we start a waste plant? Because one of the easiest things to start in a municipality is a waste-to-energy plant. Yeah. You say, in order for you to be a courageous leader, the best version of yourself, there are many things that you do, self-improvement, etc., etc., but believe in something. Hmm believe in a higher purpose. And you were very clear, very careful not to make it religious, but you need to believe in something bigger than yourself. Mm. For you, I believe it is your spirituality. You are a priest of the International Pentecostal Holiness Church, Kerekeya mm-hmm. Mudise, um, and you've always worn that badge, that banner mm-hmm. proudly. Even in corporate, essay, everybody knows. <laughs> and I want to know to what extent that... Um, informs your worldview and even well, keeps firstly, you as calm as you always are. Uh, firstly, it we our parents became part of the IPHC when I was seven years old. And so the first thing that I learned at age seven is that when I see Lerato, so the, 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 there's a scripture that says you will never see God with a naked eye. Mm. You'll always see human beings. Now, the scripture of Isaiah 59 says that we're all an embodiment of God. Mm. So, whether you're looking back to Genesis, we all carry a God particle in us. us. So, I've been taught since uh, early childhood that I must know that anybody that stands in front of me with a two-legged as a species is carrying a God particle in them. I can't purport to honor the God that I can't see if I can honor the person in front of me. Yeah. So my philosophy, therefore, is to say whenever I encounter people, my duty is to at least help them rather than hurt them. Mm. So if, if if someone is in front of me, I should always say, how can I help them be better than I found them yeah. than leave them worse off than I found them? In the short space of time, that is the, the the quickest answer I can give you. Be the light in Be a dark world. Be the light. World. Walk. And leave uh, it better uh, than and, you found it. And also do as I do. Walk your talk. Money Baker says, a lot of respect to Ndate Makwana. He knows his business. He clearly is a courageous leader. All he said today, Lerato, has stimulated my mind. Thank you for introducing him to us, Lerato. He needs no introduction, but, (laughs) you know, this is what I think. Sometimes we forget that the wisdom, it exists in abundance all around us in South Africa. Um, He says, I feel like I know him much better today. Our pleasure. Um, 
Marco says, what a thought-provoking interview. Marco then takes a picture and says, Lerato, I'm taking notes as if I'm in a university <laughs> lecture hall. Tell your guests, thank you, I'm taking notes. Thank the you. children of Gaza say, is there a podcast? Please, we need a podcast. Mm. There will be a podcast within the next hour or two. This has been a leadership dialogue with Ndade Mpo Magwana, a leader for all seasons. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.